Hello, I'm Matthew Stepanek. And I'm Rayanne Haynes. And this is Let's Get Lit. In every episode of Let's Get Lit, we interview poets of stature about their work and about the power and relevancy of poetry in order to support and promote it, the arts and literacy. In a conversation of style, we'll enjoy a beverage chosen to match the poet's personality and style while learning more about each poet and asking why poetry matters to them. Uh, Let's Get Lit would also like to acknowledge our interview takes place on Treaty 6 territory, a traditional gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, Pappas Chase, Nakota Sioux, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community. I'm Matthew Stepanek, uh, the editor of Glass Buffalo and one of your co-hosts for Let's Get Lit. And I'm Rayanne Haynes, the executive director of Edmonton Poetry Festival and the other co-host of Let's Get Lit. So we would like to thank wine expert Givinda Bertia for his generosity as the podcast wine sponsor. Our pairings come from Gravinder's private cellar. However, for tonight's podcast, in the spirit of connection with our guest, Mary Pinkowski, we'll be drinking tea instead. Let's Get Lit is presented with the Writers Guild of Alberta, and we're grateful for their support in promoting and sharing this podcast. As you're listening, feel free to share your thoughts on the conversation with us on Twitter at Let's underscore Lit. We're happy to welcome to the podcast Mary Pinkowski, who was the fifth Poet Laureate of the City of Edmonton from 2013 to 2015, and she's an internationally recognized poet. Uh, she's performed on stages across North America and at the 2015 Winter Lights Festival in Reykjavik, Iceland. Her work has appeared in multiple anthologies, and she is the 2011 Canadian National Spoken Word Champion and winner of the 2008 CBC National Poetry Face-Off. In 2015, she was recognized as an Edmonton Top 40 Under 40 and also awarded a University of Alberta Alumni Horizon Award for her poetry work in the Edmonton community, in particular for facilitating poetry workshops and her creation of the City of Edmonton's Youth Poet Laureate role. When not working on her doctorate at the University of Alberta's Faculty of Education, Mary continues to perform across the country and to provide dynamic and engaging workshops for writers of all ages and experiences across the province. She is also uh, the 2019 Metro Regional Writer-in-Residence and will split her time between the libraries in Fort Saskatchewan, St. Albert, and Strathcona County. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. Happy to have you here. Thank you. Happy to be here. This evening we are drinking the Glenora Breakfast Blend, which is an in-house blend originally created for the Glenora Bed and Breakfast in Edmonton. This is a bold and balanced blend of Kenyan and Assam teas, perfect with a touch of milk and for enjoying while strolling around the neighborhood. So a few words about Mary and why we chose this. Uh, Mary is a community leader a community builder, a community sharer. She has mentored countless young and adult poets and has spent years as a fierce ambassador for the city of Edmonton. Her writing often speaks directly to home, to place, and to family. And it is with this understanding of her that we chose a locally made tea from one of Edmonton's oldest and most culturally robust neighborhoods. And uh, I should also mention that Matthew steeped our tea tonight. So Yeah, it was a very difficult task of... <laughs> Pouring the tea into the tea ball, yes. trying to measure the right amount, yes. getting it strong and bold enough for Mary so that we could keep her up for the right. whole podcast. Oh, right. I, I fall asleep early, so. Oh, okay. I, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, just trying to help with the narrative of preparing the tea. So Thank you. Very lovely. You did a wonderful job. Yeah. I appreciate that you're going to continue to bullshit with me tonight, Mary. <laughs> Glad to just do like an hour of lies. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I just realized it's a black tea. So that means I'm drinking this at in the evening as we're recording. We may be up late. Like, is this going to keep me up late? Well, I don't know. You did say you had a number of editing tasks to do. (laughs) You've got at least 24 pages. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's just how it goes. I find tea I don't react to as much as, like, coffee. Like, if I have a black tea after 7, I think there's something about the way we, like, digest the caffeine in tea that it's more of a slow release. Oh, I don't if, know. I like, I, I say it's a slow less, release. Less caffeine, though, than uh, a coffee. 
Oh, okay. Or something. Okay. We say a lot of like sciencey things on the podcast sometimes okay. that like usually I'm like, oh, this fact that I think is true, well, but maybe not. And then I ask someone to correct me right. on like, you know, Twitter or something. Just be like, Matthew speaks a lot of untruths. Well, you know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it's just how it goes. Yes. But... I read that yes. after 15 minutes of steeping, that's all the caffeine you can get out of the tea bag. Oh. oh yeah, so you can't ever think like I can sleep all day and I'll get more and more caffeine at, after fifteen minutes. That's kind of the saturation point. And the interesting is, fun fact. Yeah, is that like because like I remember when Tim Hortons used to have like double steep tea or oh. it was like that. I don't know. Don't you remember those like is weird that when you use your tea bag twice, which is kind of. Like, that's a bit sacrilegious, I think. It's a bit, like, Because then you just have water, water yeah. Like yeah. dipping in lukewarm bath water. I, I do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I don't, like, I don't think I use the whole tea bag. Like, you know, if it's, like, a minute and then after it's another minute. I don't know. Do you oh. also drink the water when you're in the kind of weird? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to do it a lot as a child. That was, that was. Sometimes you can't help it though. Yeah. It's true. Child. Sometimes. You're so <laughs> thirsty. You for yeah. Multiple tea bag <laughs> steepings. I think it made me healthier too. I have a lot more immunities. Probably so. Yeah. I have to tell you, I, this is, I, I have to say this little story. So, uh, my son, when he was in high school, he had one of his friends uh, came to school every morning with a coffee mug of tea. And it wasn't a travel mug. It was a ceramic <laughs> coffee so mug <laughs> that he would come into the school with his tea. And for a graduation joke, someone, we're not naming names, broke into his locker and filled his entire locker with tea bags. Oh, <laughs> so just like the Boston Tea Party all over <laughs> oh, again. <laughs> so when he, yeah, he opened up his locker and all these tea bags came pouring out at him. But it was the, it was a joke of the whole school. Like he would come every morning with his ceramic mug of tea and walk in the halls with that's his so tea. Quaint. Yeah, I thought it was lovely. Yeah, that's yeah. really nice. It's yeah. nice, but like I would just that'd be so inconvenient. Like I know. I'm like, it wasn't even a travel mug. Just, no, no, it just came with this ceramic <laughs> coffee mug. I guess if you like live nearby, and then it's just sort of like, oh, like I'll just take my coffee with me or my tea. I don't to think school. he lived nearby. I feel like it was. Did you like, go on the bus? Yeah, he went on the oh, bus. Wow. So I feel like it was just this is his persona for high school. Like he had a he had a shtick, and he stuck with it. Maybe he brewed it in the staff lounge or something. Maybe. He had like a secret access pass Maybe. in once he got no. there and was like, I'm Maybe. Put my tea now. And because all the teachers were like, oh, there's that kid again. <laughs> this is our time. <laughs> Get out of here. Don't want to deal with things. It'll be really funny if he becomes a teacher. Like yeah. If he does, yeah, yeah, because it's kind of like a principal move. It is stroll the stroll hallways the with your <laughs> tea. You know, with <laughs> I want to see you doing that as your. Uh, Writer in residence gig. Strolling, Strolling around with your, your tea. Uh, I do Mom. bring tea, but yeah. Do you have a cup? Do you have a specialized cup? No, I drink oh. right out of the thermos. Yeah. Mm. I, I drink out of the thermos lid, actually. Like oh, I, well. Yeah. Maybe we should put it out there, like gift for Mary. Oh, yeah. Tea. I'll, I'll a tea cup with tea writer in residence. I'll accept any gifts, really. I mean, okay. <laughs> whatever you want to put do out in this duration. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy Think to. Of them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but so you've officially started mm-hmm. as the writer in residence. Yes. And um, you're at the Strathcona County Library yeah, right now yeah. to begin with. Yeah. 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 yeah, and how's that How's that treating you so it's far? It's great, yeah. We did, uh, our first, I started last week was my first week and had people drop in and we had our first event on Sunday, which was just a kind of informal meet and greet, which was really nice. And nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the four months there. Then I'll go to Fort Saskatchewan and then to uh, St. Albert. St. Albert. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, four months in each A uh, little library. bit shorter in Fort Saskatchewan, but four in the other ones. Okay. Yeah, because you get, I think, the, the six weeks off during the summer, yeah, too. So that, oh, right. That's the Fort Saskatchewan one. Yeah. 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 So they can drive a little bit further. No offense to Fort Saskatchewan people. Um, I, have, I have Fort Saskatchewan family members. I'm going to let them know you're there. Okay, great. Yes. Yeah, yeah I yes. lived in Fort Saskatchewan until high school. So, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm excited to go back and <laughs> see it and, yeah. I'm... Be like, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> <laughs> You've grown. <laughs> so high. <laughs> How else are you doing in life? Yeah, what what I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> um, any sort of, like, what sort of exciting things are you working on 
Well, I'm um, working on school. I'm always working on school, so that's kind of a thing that stays constant. Yeah. Uh, mm. But as part of that, I'm really excited. I've been writing these uh, kind of short prose pieces or creative nonfiction bits on museums, which is what I studied for school. Yeah. And so it's been really nice to work in a, a different form, but also I think lends itself a little bit to poetry and, and I bring some of those elements in. So that's been um, something new and something I just sort of doing slowly and little bits by bits. And then um, working with a artist in the city named Alison Davies, who's having a show at Snap Gallery that's um, her artwork and some lines from my poetry. So we've been working together. Oh, uh, uh, beautiful. Yeah, it should, I think it's opening next month, if I'm correct. So that's okay. been, um, yeah, I'm just kind of... So is out. your poetry woven into the painting? Is that the... Yeah, she do. She uses a cyanotype, is the type of art, and I don't <laughs> quite understand how it works, but um, <laughs> it looks awesome. And uh, so she's using just some lines or words from my poems, and then they'll be... Uh, the way it looks is like almost like they're etched into the into the art piece, oh, and then um, hopefully we're just planning it out. But there'll be a poem of mine that'll be vinyl lettering going down the wall and onto the floor. So oh wow! A, yeah, cool. so we're looking. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. when when you mm. know the date and everything, you should let us know, and we'll link to it too sure. through Snap, so yeah, people can check that out. Also, like because I want to look at it yes. too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah, I think um, it is probably publicized. I'm just not, uh, I like this partnership because the most of the work is not yeah. on my head. So, <laughs> Allison has been doing most of the work. And um, I'm sure you must have met her because she was here in the, um, they had uh, the ladies tennis, no. Ladies oh, clubs. the tennis club. Tennis club, yeah. yeah. She, she's a member of that. Oh, she's so, a member of yeah, the tennis club. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, so, so as the tennis club was an artist in residence at McLuhan House, which is where we are doing uh-huh. our podcast yeah. from, just for the people that are listening. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not everyone wasn't just here. <laughs> watching yeah. you point at me. <laughs> Also, I hadn't heard of the tennis club before, so I'm learning. Yeah, they're a fe- they're a feminist uh, group of artists, from my understanding, and they do some really subversive and cool stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So hmm. it'll be fun, I think. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. Um, have you have any had anything like funny happen to you yet at writer in residence, or you're still fairly new at the role? Yeah. Um, it's not. It's not funny, but it is kind of funny that the library is in a temporary location right now. The reason it's in a temporary location is not funny. It's because someone tried to bomb the building in which, oh my God. Right, yeah. which is like not funny um, and resulted in like that person dying. But oh my gosh. But the was, library has yeah. since been closed uh, and they don't know when it'll open again. So it's in a new location, which is next to a Dollarama, which I think is funny. And oh. then, but the location that it's in is in a um, former World Health Club. So oh. like when I go to the washroom, there's these advertisements on the stalls for like sweat, it'll make you great. And so I'm <laughs> so always thinking like, am I working hard enough yet? What should I do? <laughs> Should I pace? Get weighted pen sets. Yeah, I'm thinking, oh, I'm not sweating yet today, but so it's kind of funny. And they're, you know, they're like, okay, well, if you're going to take a picture with the newspaper reporter, make sure the booster juice counter isn't in the picture and that sort of thing. So it gives a little element of humor, but overall situation is not humorous, but the the little minutia of it is kind of funny. Wow. That's a good motivational a poster. Like, you should take one oh, of those yeah. with you for, for later. Just Posterity. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I need that reminder to sweat more when yeah. I'm writing. I'd have to pry open the thing. It's in one of those, like, you know. Oh, the those... sealed, because someone's <laughs> going to steal it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the sealed, the sealed uh, things that go on the back of the stall doors. Yeah. I don't know if they have that in the guy's washroom. Maybe not. I don't know. Do I they? Don't, I don't, like, usually it's like urinal advertisements yeah. is where the oh, more ad, ads. Yeah, you put something over the urinal. I was listening to um, CBC Terry O'Reilly, like under the influence, and yeah. he was talking about like different weird ad campaigns. Right. And there was one like uh, I think TSN put like soccer balls in the urinal, and because like I don't know, like I'm not I'm not hyper masculine <laughs> in this way where I'm just like oh I love to play at urinal time, but like people could like play like move the ball around in the urinal and then they uh, have this ad above it with their 
with their with their with their urine Whoa. yeah with their with their urine this dreams like what statistics like you snort a goal or something like, <laughs> I think you like had like I think there was like a net in the in the thing too and so you could try to move the ball into right. the net yeah and then it was just like the ad said like you know uh, in foot- the urinal. In the urinal, so like. Not that happens with the woman. I I never encountered this. I think it was like a, a United Kingdom campaign where it was just like, oh, football is like fun in the urinal, but like best on TSN or something. And I was like, that's really clever. Um, but it was just sort of very like. I think if I went to use a urinal and there was like a soccer ball in it, I'd be like. <laughs> I need to use something else, <laughs> or this is not a urinal anymore. This is very strange. But things men are interesting creatures. Well, yeah, we all are. We all are. So that was something I had to share. I don't yeah. know. Fun, fun, weird facts. Fun but, facts. Yeah. Matthew is the king of fun facts. I feel like yeah. you <laughs> often you often have those fun yeah. and inappropriate. So, Mary, <laughs> uh, we've talked a little bit about what you're writing, um, but what are you reading right now? Uh, right now I'm reading a book called The Library Book. Um, mm. Are you reading it as well? No, I just saw that she's coming to Lit Fest for oh, March. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, March 5th. Oh, right on. Okay, yeah. Susan Orleans is the author. Yeah. That's the she we are speaking of. And, yes. And... Uh, it's like a creative nonfiction uh, book on her. Uh, she sort of sat for a time in Los Angeles libraries, and she and she writes kind of this memoir of being in the library, and it's nice. It's been nice. I started reading it before I picked up the writer, like before I began the writer in residence, and it's been kind of nice to hmm. read that in. Um, in conjunction with going into this role in the library and being in the library and yeah yeah and she speaks you know often to the workings of the library and just all these kind of behind the scenes things that you don't normally see in the library so the the place where they're scanning in the books and sending out books to different uh, branches and that sort of thing so it's been nice to read that while being situated in the library and um yeah, and the and the Strathcona County Library is a little bit different because all of that is visible right now because of where they're located mm. and being in that World Health Club. So you can see all the books at the back and the books that they have on loan. It's all visible to everyone. So it's been a kind of interesting unfolding of the workings of the library through the book and through my being at Strathcona. Oh yeah. yeah, that would be cool. I need to be reading that at the same yeah, time. I Clearly, it. yeah, because yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. it is. It's like especially like I'm at my home branch now in Highlands, and so it's kind of cool to like be there and like seeing what goes on behind the scenes for some place mm-hmm. that I visited a lot over the last three mm-hmm. years. Um, but yeah, then I'm just like, I remember seeing the big yellow bins that they bring all of the books in that you place on holds from like other libraries. And I was like, Oh, that comes in a bin. Didn't like it just like little things that seem suddenly magical. Cause you're like, I wonder how they transport all those books. Well, you put it in a, you bin. Put it in a bin, you put it in a bin and then you yeah. put it in a truck and then you take it off the truck and then you open the, bin and then you take the books out yeah then you put that book on a shelf right and then i pick it up yes it's the whole system there's a a circle it's a cycle of book life the the cycle of book life and it's interesting when it's interrupted for a particular reason so Mm -hmm. like now the library is interrupted and that they can't access any books from their um existing library like their their main location because they're all being cleaned due to this incident so they're just operating with books that have been taken out and uh, before this this happens, so it's interesting to watch as things come in and how this works and what happens when the system is interrupted and yeah. So are they getting books in then from other libraries to mm-hmm. kind of help with the flow of? Um, I think they just ask people to do it inter-library okay. loan, and then okay. people can take out books that way. They are not themselves borrowing books to then borrow to their. Oh, I see. Users, yeah, so that is kind of interlibrary loan, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they rely on that system. I think yeah. But they did Came rely on um, quite a bit of community. They told me, someone told me that the shelving that they have was donated from the old Capilano library because they had just moved locations oh, yeah. and they had some mm-hmm. spare shelving. So they were able to bring that shelving in right away to put the books that they have on. And so mm-hmm. chairs from a school, I think. And yeah, so mm-hmm. it's nice the way community comes together in those kinds of centers. And yeah. And yeah. Because yeah. we need our there. library. Yeah. 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 If one falls down, then, like, you have to build it somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. They will come if you build it. Yeah. Yes. With exactly. libraries. Yes. And community supporting each other. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I like that yeah. too. Yeah. Yes, with libraries. Yeah. I, I got that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not with other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Picking up what you were throwing down. Yeah. yeah. You're good. We're, we're, we're vibing <laughs> off of each other I mean, tonight. Okay. Um, well, why don't we uh, move into a poem from sure. you? Okay. Yeah. So I think the first poem that Matthew and I would like you to read is Spore Leaf Clover, which mm-hmm. is a poem that we both fell in love with, you know, years ago hearing from you uh, read it. And so if you would share that with our listeners, I think that'd be lovely. Sure. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So it was a poem that I wrote about my sister, which will become apparent when I start reading it. Yeah. And yeah, it's older now, which is okay. It's one that I return to often and um, has a lot of value for me and I think mm. is um, valuable for people to hear as well. So it's been nice that way to, to have it and, and um, to be able to share it over you know, a long period of time. It hasn't really changed. It took a long time to write it, but yeah. um, once it was written, it hasn't changed much in, in its form from when the, when the final final written part was done. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been nice, and um, it's one of the few that I've had published. I don't have an extensive publish, um, publication dossier but it is one that um that has been in the, yeah in Polish so it's okay. nice to share it that way as well mm-hmm. so I think it plays well in words and um on the page yes yeah. yes yes yeah. yeah yeah this poem is a prayer to the earth from my sister on her graduation to the salmon swimming upstream to their death give her strength Let her know that most of this world is swimming against the current. There are just some people that have been given more current to swim against. Teacher also returning home. Remind her that despite the rush of the river, we are cradling her favorite skipping stones in our mouths, waiting. To the entwined antlers of the two elk we found in the field, handcuffed to their own starvation, teach her fight, but also teach her forgiveness. Let her learn backing away gracefully without backing down. Teach her not to blink. To the one clover in the field of 10,000 that has inexplicably been given an extra leaf, teach her not to search for reason, but to call you lucky. So that when she looks in the mirror, instead of seeing one extra chromosome, instead of seeing Down syndrome, she will see a four-leaf clover. She will see lucky. She will see the day of her birth when God lost a game of go fish with the angels matching cards like chromosomes, always in pairs, always in pairs, always, dear four-leaf clover. Let her see that 21st chromosome as a collector's item, the long end of a wishbone and antenna to the angels, to the thunderstorm that came in June of her first year. Be the one to fall so that she doesn't have to. To the maggots and the vultures swarming their fresh kill. A note, stay away from my sister. Do not whisper in her ear that this is a world that basks in the luxury of thieves, a world that affords the opportunity for her life to be stolen from her. Stay away from my sister. Teresa, sometimes I forget that I don't need to hold your hand anymore when you cross the stage to the cheers of your classmates, but I wanted to give you a switchblade. But the only flick slice I have ever given you is with this pen, so I'm giving you this poem instead, a breathtaking way into all the ways in which nature turns in on itself. It is imperfect in its offering, I know. The words are too big. You will never be able to read them, so I pray instead for the wind to whip itself into a tornado, place you in the calmness of its eye, and surround you with these blessings. Broken though they may be, may the angels intervene like on the day of your birth. May you hear them singing, O holy child. Beautiful. Beautiful things, yeah. Yeah. Every time I hear you read that, I just get shivers. Thank you. Yeah, Mm. I think it's uh, so powerful and so thoughtful, you know, the way you, you. yeah. It was nice to hear a little bit of the the process, too, in writing it, that, Mm. you know, it it took you a while, but it was one of those things that once, I guess, all the pieces fit together in the poem that you um, knew it was complete, like, you know, doesn't change the way that some other forms, like, that we play with a lot. Um... I was wondering, is that um, a common experience for you when you write poems, or do you find, um, you know, you work on them a lot at different stages, or was this a a special case? 
I think more than any other poem, uh, this poem went through, I, should, I think this poem went through more drafts than any other poem that I've ever done. Uh, and it was because in the first writings of it, and when I say it took a long time, I mean like it took multiple years to do it. Mm. And um, I would leave it and come back to it and leave it and come back to it. But in the initial drafts of it, it was always coming out without an element of hope in it. And I would read the read what I had written and feel like there was an anger or um, mm. a darkness that I didn't feel in my relationship with my sister. And, mm. um, and I don't know why it was working that way when it was coming out of me but it took me a long time to get to this point to to get to something where it was like a poem where I could speak to the beauty of my sister and the beauty of our relationship and how I see her in the world and so yeah it just took me a long time to get there and to negotiate the the right I guess element of hope that I wanted to come out of it yeah yeah um you know, as so many times poets are asked when they're writing something personal about a family member or, you know, a loved one, um, what their thoughts are or their processes in writing that. And did you feel any responsibility? Like, what, what was your feeling of responsibility in writing this? Um, I would say what I just spoke about is mm-hmm. that I didn't want to come away with this sort of... Um, darkly toned poem or Mm -hmm. like I wanted it to be a light and Mm -hmm. um even though there's there's challenges presented in having someone with a disability in your life there's still a lot of light and a lot of hope and I wanted that to come through and I wanted I felt that that was my responsibility to to share that kind of element of light and that that we have um with having Teresa in our in our lives and in our Mm -hmm. family um, in terms of responsibility, uh, ethically, I performed it in front of my family and my sister, yeah. and she loves it. And I, do, I don't, I would never um, speak to something that I didn't feel was my story to tell. And um, okay, I think, yeah, and I think that um, because I position the poem as sort of this gift that I'm offering to mm-hmm. my sister, and um, use all these kind of images of nature and its small little anom- anomalies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel those are all ethically sound and, and yeah. Fine. yeah and um so it, it never became a question of mm. that and I don't tend to ever tell someone else's story in my writing I just tell my story so mm. I like that framing mm. it in that way right that it's your it's yeah. your story and yeah I think that will be helpful because I, I there are I I get asked that question a lot mm. from new writers about how to write something about you know that family member or a personal experience and how they negotiate that so mm. I'm always interested in hearing what other writers right. responses are to that and how to kind of negotiate it mm. um I think yeah. with everything in my poetry um I try to write the relationship so mm. it's my relationship with um whatever it is so in this case my relationship with my sister when I was mm-hmm. poet laureate it was my relationship with the city so mm-hmm. it wasn't ever speaking someone else's story I would say this is my relationship yeah. and I would speak that relationship so yeah. um I sort of always view my poems as kind of situated in this space in between myself and the um whatever else I'm speaking about or in the space of myself if I'm just writing about myself and giving a narrative about myself but um situated within that relationship it's always from my perspective and not taking from the other person so um I see it as a kind of dynamic thing but also something that yeah you do have to be careful about and I'm um I just feel Everyone has their stories to tell, so yeah. it would be some someone else's responsibility to tell their their story, not mine. So right, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah I feel the same way about it. Like when I'm writing, that it's always just anything that I'm talking about. Even like when I'm writing about like pop culture, or other experiences, always mm-hmm. just like my relationship to it and like how I'm responding mm-hmm. um, to that and like what mm-hmm. sort of importance it has in my life. And I think like these are sort of entry points to understanding ourselves and understanding. A relationship so mm-hmm. yeah that, that, that makes mm-hmm. sense to me um so we've kind of talked a little bit about mm-hmm. um you know what you write about and like the things that you've um been called to write about especially as poet laureate so you know you've wrote and lo- written a lot of poems about the city and other things but um where do you look to for inspiration for a lot of your 
um, the things that you do write and now, you know, it's museums. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, prior to being Poet Laureate, I situated a lot of my poems in my lived experience, so whether it was my family or the number of poems when I first started that are just, you know, poems about me and my mom, that sort of thing, mm. um, which were great. And then um, I did a few, because I've worked in museums, I've been involved in Alberta history and Edmonton history for quite a long time. I would do some some poems that relate to that, relate to the city, relate to Alberta history. Not an extensive amount, but, but enough. Um, and then when I became Poet Laureate, uh, I found that my voice changed because I was always writing about the city or I mm. wrote um, so many commissions for different events or different groups that I wasn't writing for myself anymore. I was writing for an outside entity. So these past four years almost now since I finished uh, doing the Poet Laureate, I've found it interesting to come back into my own voice and figure mm. out where, where is that voice and what, and what does it want to say? And um, so it's been interesting, the turns it's been taking. I still do draw always on um, my life, my experiences. I tend to always sort of vacillate towards nature themes, science themes. Those kinds of things compel me and how it can stretch the, what's happening in that world into, into our world or into our understandings. So I think they provide so many different nuances and ways of knowing. And even my museum pieces now... They look at myself as a person who's worked in museums for a decade. How do I rectify being this settler colonial person working mm-hmm. in a space that needs, that is a colonial and imperial space? And how do I justify that and rectify that? And um, just kind of trying mm-hmm. to unsettle the, the space that I've created and that work and as a writer as well, um, use that tool to provide sort of these probing probing questions into like what is the purpose of this institution and what is my purpose and so yeah mm-hmm. that I find so that's mm. kind of just drawing on I don't know whatever comes across my way I didn't give you a specific <laughs> yeah. answer but you know sometimes if it it's like it's like you know if you're um you know you kind of you drive down the highway and you see the same things if you're going a regular route and then you know, there'll be something like a shoe on a fence post and it'll catch your eye. And so yeah. I feel I'm a bit like that of like, oh, there's the shoe. What does that mean that I saw the shoe? And the, how do I relate to the shoe? And why is the shoe? So it's kind of, yeah, these little flits in and out of, of um, different absurdities and different anomalies that come across my way. Hmm. Yeah. Jumping off, like I know that we'll want to talk to you and delve into like um, that, uh, answer a little bit more, particularly when it comes to like responsibility, um, when it comes to, you know, um, what gets stored in a museum and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff like that'll be, um, I always feel weird when I'm just like, we'll talk about that later. No, but we That's a conversation. That yeah, yeah. Like where it's just yeah. something that we want to delve into later, but we kind of like keep things on the poetry side at this point. Mm-hmm. But, um, I wanted to hear a little bit more from you about maybe, um, some what what you keep in mind or what sort of tools you use when you're you know writing a poem that you know you're going to be performing versus something that's only going to appear on the page um because yeah and to go along with that like now that you're writing more prose and and you know has it changed how you write your poetry for mm-hmm. the performance or non-performance setting yeah yeah, yeah it's I would I would say that I um, I never wrote for performance. I never uh, thought I'm gonna start doing poetry for performance. It has just been um, it's just been a path that opened itself up to me, and I I followed it, and um, has been something that has worked for me. I don't think I'm particularly awesome at performance there's many people who are trained in performance that are poets that are that are much better um we disagree yeah i mean (laughs) you're incredible Uh, (laughs) thank you um i have enough i think i have enough uh tricks and years behind me that i can do a a solid job but i think there there are some people that i've watched who can really turn a performance on on its head and do quite phenomenal things uh so i I don't find my asking. I don't find myself asking that question of 
how will I write this for performance and how will I write it for the page? Because the thing that's always happened to me when I'm writing is that I have a voice in my head and it's very strong. And so even when I write my museum pieces, I'm reading it out loud just to hear that voice. And so I think I always just write to the strength of my voice. And I just think um, when I'm writing, oh, I don't hear my voice in this. I need to make it stronger. And that's what propels me through. And I think that's also what has helped me in the performance route is that I was fortunate that early on in doing poetry, I was able to find my voice quite quite quickly, and um, and that has kind of helped me be a strong performer, but also have have poems that produce and read well on the page. Mm-hmm. It's not producing, but they're reading well on the page, and so I I find myself writing more for my voice. And is this true to me? Is kind of what is the question that I answer when I. When I, mm-hmm. when I do that, if that, does that make sense? Or? I think it totally makes sense that, yeah, to hear, yeah, you're writing for your voice, not necessarily for page or stage. And I think it's a good answer, too, like yeah. when um, I think of me reading my poems out loud, and even though I've right. never really thought about, oh, how am I going to perform this still, like, I feel that connection to them that, like, oh, yes. I can say this and I know like how it was going in my mind mm-hmm. because that was the the pace that I created so yeah. sometimes I just I talk to um some spoken word poets that like will um you know put in a certain effect or like they know that like you know like pause more here than compared to like you know things tr- tricks that you can't quite put on a page and so I always wondered if you know that that comes into things when you're thinking about it or if that's probably just something that happens after when you're performing it yeah, I think yeah. it happens after when you're performing it. I don't necessarily think I'm going to pause here unless it unless I'm writing a poem and I'm reading it out loud and then I'll just start to get that rhythm. But yeah. I think that's from so many years of just doing performance. I will say, though, um, this answer, my answer that I gave is totally negated by the fact that if I'm writing for Poetry Slam, there is particular okay. technique and skills oh, that okay, yeah. scoring yes. points in the Poetry Slam that you know if you you know, put in this type of metaphor or you speak about this topic or you add this performative element, especially when you start working with multiple poets in a group too. So if you're all doing like a team piece, they call it, or, you know, more than one person speaking the same poem, then there's definitely performative techniques that happen. I don't think that changes how it looks on the page, but there is definitely a writing for performance and for score in that. In the slam aspect of it, and even with timing, right? Because you have certain timing with the slam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's a real... um, I I feel like the more and more and more that I talk to poets who would be considered, you know, spoken word or performance poets, the answer that I get back often, and I'm hearing it from you too, is that it's not really that, you know, you're a performance poet or a spoken word poet. You're a poet who happens to perform very well and who you know has a strong performance style but you're still writing as a poet first right it's about the voice and the language and the poem not about the not about something else unless it's the slam or something yeah i feel i mean slam is like a venue like a game so um it's not a type of poetry it's just uh going you know it's it's a venue um i think yeah for me i'm generally a pretty quiet person i don't like so performing takes a lot out of me. I yeah. um, I find it uh, it takes a lot, and I've learned over the years how to sort of protect that energy and be able to perform. But mm. as I go along in my poetry career, the more years I'm doing it, I shy further and further away from the poetry and uh, the performance part, and the mm. um, and just prefer the the writing and, and the working on the page. So. Oh, that's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's like a nat, just a natural progression of where you're. I think so. Just like and moving. And yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that. Um, yeah, I've said a lot. I've been performing <laughs> for a decade. It's, <laughs> it's nice to take a break and um, you know, sort of sit back. And other mm-hmm. people have lots of things to say that are valuable as yes. well. So it's yeah. good to give those voices a a chance to rise up as well. Yeah. Be heard. Yeah. I just, I had yeah. imagined in my head for some reason that there'd be like a future like Mary Ro- Rocky style movie oh, where it's oh. just like Mary hasn't performed in a while and she swore it off that like ever since that one terrible incident that happened at a poetry slam that, uh. and then, you know, you have to come back and I don't know. I don't, 
<laughs> run stairs or maybe swim laps would be more fitting for you. Sure, yeah. uh, at the venue, at, at, at the, the library. At the library, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you can do, you got to start sweating again. And yeah, it's the one last time to, I don't know, defend your family honor oh, or something. Yeah. I like wow. it. I like this narrative that I've created. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't recall the last time I did a poetry slam, so it would be good. Someone do a photo calling. shoot with Mary wearing boxing gloves. Yes, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. the books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. They, that the paper should have done that. Yeah, they should yeah, have. They should yeah. have. Yeah. Oh, well, the next piece. I think as you travel around, so yeah, everyone will keep Fort doing Saskatchewan. a piece. Of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Fort Saskatchewan, yes. reporters, people. Yeah, bring boxing gloves. Oh, but they won't be in the, the World Health Club. Oh, right. So it defeats it. It's really bad. I still want boxing gloves, though. Okay. Wherever we put yeah. you. Yeah, Mary's, I think that's a great visual. Mary's a fighter. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but I still do just like staying home. <laughs> and having your tea. Yeah, having my tea. And my and tea. Yeah. I should have the tea. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Go to our breakfast blend. Yeah. <laughs> Acquire taste. Acquire taste. Key company, this address, uh, insert website, phone <clears throat> number, and ordering it. Maybe we should try and remember to put a link to it. Um, well, why don't we lead into another yeah. poem? Yeah. Um, if you would like, we would invite you after now that we've had a little bit of talk of some of your love of museums um, to read your poem, The Bones, for us. Sure, yeah. This is the oldest poem I think I'll read on the podcast tonight. Really? It's all the way back 10 years old, maybe. Really? Oh, wow. Two th- I think it's a 2008 I wrote it for the CBC Poetry Face-Off when CBC Which used won. to do it. Yeah. And so they, um, what they used to do was every year they'd have a poetry face-off and cities around the country would have their local poets come and they'd pick a local winner and then that local winner would go to the national poetry face-off. Um, by go, I mean they play your poem on the radio. You don't go anywhere. And then they would play the poems, the, the, the local winners on the radio, and it was done by audience vote. So they'd play something like two a day for three days, and then um, they, they would have a vote, and then they'd announce the winner on the Friday. And so they did it for a number of years. And the theme my year was called Heating Up, and so that's what this poem came out of. Mm. And we, uh, we did it at the CBC Center stage in um, City, City Love Center that stage. Mall. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's always so funny performing there because inevitably someone is like getting arrested or, like, you or yelling at you like, yeah, right on. <laughs> You're like, it's actually a really gentle poem, but it's <laughs> 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 And there's always these moments where people are like, oh, how are you going to respond? <laughs> Normally you're just like, you know, and then people are always like bustling into winners or something. <laughs> they're like, oh, it's my lunch hour. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. So I can't remember. I think it was in my year, one of the, one of the poets reading, there was someone who was arrested and like taken down right oh. by the, right by the stage. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's awful. Like to have to, I was thinking like, oh. I guess that didn't happen when I was doing it. I was like, well, what to do? Um, but yeah, so I won in Edmonton and then it went <clears> on to the national radio and I won the national CBC Poetry Face Off. And it was nice. I got the accolade and then, like, two years later, I was in Toronto at the CBC building and I saw the CD that we're on in the discount bin and I was like, oh, I made it. <laughs> I am on discount. <laughs> take photos of it? I took a photo. I don't know where that is now, but I took a photo and uh, I did not buy myself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I got one for free. (laughs) That's a discount. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, so this poem came out of that and uh, um, kind of wrestling with the theme of heating up and what what would I think about Mm -hmm. um, heating up. There's a story, a kind of campfire story takes you back to Africa and these searching scientists where they discover the most incredibly burnt antelope bones, and that's when they believe they found the first campfire. If I could do anything, I would take these bones. 
I would take these bone-spinning sparks of fury to the preachers, the prophets, the presidents, sitting in their dark offices bargaining with power, and I would say, stop. Look here. This is light. I would entwine these bones and rosaries and bring them to the person broken and knelt down, praying to the single flame on the back of an altar, and I would say, get up. Get up. This is hope. I would dress these bones up in childproof packaging and present them to the group of girl guides sitting around a campfire singing rain, storm, fire, wind, kumbaya. And as they sat together, I would say, girls, girls, listen, this is song. I would knit these bones into the tattered threads of fingerless gloves and press them into the palms of the person huddled over the steamy sidewalk grate, pleading for a dime, a quarter, a drink, a smile, and I would say, keep these. These are alms. I would cradle these reluctant bones that had never left the ground up elevator shafts to the 12-story apartment of the lovers locked in a red-hot rage, bent over from the passion of emotion, bent over from the passion of love, and I would say, wait, wait, take this. It's not as hot, but it lasts longer. I would sneak these bones past metal detectors in the entryways of our high schools and slide them into the binder of a grade 10 student, listening to a science teacher discussing the symbol Q as a representation of heat and heat as the transfer of energy from one body to another, and just as a student with his chewed down pencil poise is about to write heat, I would say, never mind, take this down, write this, these are the actions of heat. I would bottle these bones and offer them as a salve to mothers so exhausted from a life filled with the busyness of giving so broken down from a life filled with the worry of caring, and I would place these bones in front of them and say, sit, sit here, this is energy. I would take these bones to the desolation of war zones, to the antiseptic hallways of hospitals, to the barren forests, to the cemeteries, to the in-betweens of the push-pull of life, and I would whisper, these are the memories. This is the lesson of heat. Look closer. Listen, this is what you can hold if you let yourself burn. So powerful. Thank you. <clears throat> I feel yeah. heated up after. Like I, I'm wearing a cardigan and I just, I'm just <laughs> doing the top button. <laughs> no, just, I'm just always in awe. I really am, Mary. I'm in awe of your writing and, and how you read and how you can just pull uh, emotions out of people and into your into your words and thank you yeah and you know I'm a mom and so a lot of the stuff that you write about about family and relationship mm -hmm. and and uh, power structures around them is sure. very poignant and thank you I appreciate you doing that thank you yeah 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 it was interesting when I when I began this poem um and we were challenged with that idea of heating up and I thought what can I do and I was it's kind of I do this often when I when I'm trying to do a poem, especially if it's a topic that's been given to me or a commission. Mm. I'll just start googling or looking for things on the internet, and um, it's not great research. But I'll go to Wikipedia and I'll look and I'll see like, okay, heat. How else is it described? How else does this come? And I, yeah. as I was kind of doing that, I thought, oh, I wonder what the first campfire was. And so yeah. huh. I googled for this campfire and found the found that you know scientists say is these antelope bones in Africa huh. and and I thought from there like oh I wonder what happened if I placed those bones in different situations in mm -hmm. society and, and yeah. the poem kind of grew out of that and yeah. um yeah and honoring this idea of um heating up in that way of like what if these um that communal campfire was brought to these kind of contentious places or places of of trouble and what would that mean to bring these kind this kind of like beauty and and um and light to these these places well and i think it's so um poignant that you know you wrote this over 10 years ago mm. and yet it feels really relevant you know highly relevant to uh things that are going on today Thank you. so yeah. yeah i mean it's it's almost sad maddening that it is still so relevant that nothing has well, changed much I'm sure every poem from that year is probably still relevant, like, in terms of heating up. It was yeah. pretty, like, apropos topic in terms yeah. of, you know, um, climate change. I think yeah. there's some poems on that. And yeah. Yeah, a number of different poems, but I think the majority of them will probably still be... I guess it overall speaks to the resilience of poetry yes. and how it yes. um, transcends different different spaces and, and times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think and there's always that 
called to community and to you know to strengthen a community yeah. um and like i just think the the end point is world peace yeah or you know everyone getting along and so like i think well i don't know like maybe it's just a constant struggle that we we have in the world that maybe it's like so. a little bit depressing like sometimes i'm a bit of a nihilist um yeah. but like i mean there's i, I love that that there's that effort to share and show beauty mm-hmm. and um i think that this is kind of a nice mm-hmm. tie-in mm-hmm. for um one of our next questions that we want to talk to you a little bit more about is like your time as poet laureate and how you know i, I think your role was taking these bones mm-hmm. and going to different community areas and trying to bring some beauty and light to um, you know, people that needed it. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the work and like maybe, um, how you see the importance of the role and what you imagine that being. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for your generous description of my, my time <laughs> very nice. <laughs> I remember you had a big bone stick that you walked around with too. No. That, no? Okay. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I saw my role. Well, I you're able to define what you want your role to be. And my, mm-hmm. my goal going in was to bring poetry into spaces where maybe it necessarily wasn't often. So that meant I did a lot of um, reading at forums, reading at business meetings, reading for city council. But it also meant that I got to bring in poetry into these places where mm-hmm. maybe they don't have that as part of their discussion. Yeah. And... I found it valuable in watching people's responses and seeing how people responded to hearing poetry in those spaces and and how it enlivened a discussion and and brightened, um, sometimes brightened a discussion, sometimes nuanced a discussion Mm. further, uh, added complexity to it, I think was really valuable. So my idea was just to sort of, yeah, spread poetry into new places and... I think in the arts community, we get pretty used to, like, you can go here for poetry, you can go yes. here, we expect it here and here. Yes. But what would happen if I brought it to different spaces? And I ended up in my two years doing something like over 200 performances and workshops, so it turned wow. out to be a good, um, I guess, well, it indicated that, yeah, poetry is desired in other spaces. And, and once you open up those spaces to, to poetry, they, they welcome, welcome it. Yeah. So that that kind of um, I saw that as my role, and I saw my role as being a bridge um, mm-hmm. between poetry and I talked a lot about it while I was poet laureate, but being a bridge between communities in the city, a bridge between history and where we are now, and perhaps a bridge into the the future and mm-hmm. a bridge um, between myself and the people I was interacting with. I think is kind of where, where, what I saw. Yeah, I like the, um, the description of being a bridge because I think words are often, they have that capacity to build bridges and to redefine spaces. I, the thing I like about bridges is they, uh, they connect, but they're also places of movement. So mm. things are happening and people are passing each other and we're, we're coming into existence with each other on a bridge in kind of new ways in close yeah. proximity. So I like I like that, and I like the idea of thinking that poetry does do that. It brings people in movement and passing each other yeah. into this close proximity for even just a moment, and then you go about your way, but you're changed from that moment yeah. of, of passing each other. I didn't. Um, I think throughout my time as poet laureate, I got caught up a lot in doing the performances and doing the commissions, and it becomes quite. Um, quite busy and, and overtakes you, what you're doing sort of you, you dwell in kind of moment to moment of I'm going to mm. have this and this and this next and I didn't realize I think the full value of my role until I wrote the poem for Constable Woodall when he was killed mm. yeah. and the, the kind of outpouring that I received it was right at the very end of my term and almost one of the I think one of the very very last things that I wrote before my exit poem out and just um recognizing and receiving feedback of that the community needed a poetic element to that incident and and the amount of people that it touched was really rewarding and showed me the value of poet poets laureate in the the city yeah yeah what was the experience like of having to like write a poem for the constable it was interesting Mm. um 
I didn't have to do it, and I and when it happened, I was um, I started discussion right away with them. Tenard's council kind of oversaw were the main overseers of my position, and I said, you know, the role of the poet laureate is to report on things that happen in the city in a poetic mm-hmm. way. Should I be doing something? And and they said, yeah, you can you can do something, and we'll we'll help to share it. And mm-hmm. it was difficult, but it wasn't as hard as I imagined it to be I think we're used to getting kind of narratives of death and trauma from the news and so it wasn't a new narrative to hear or for me to process unfortunately Um, but there was an element of going back to our earlier talk on responsibility and how how are you responsible Um, so we just again spoke from the city like as if uh, my voice was the voice of the city. Not I didn't want to mm-hmm. position um, any sort of uh, voice into yeah. his family or or himself. So yeah. Um, yeah, I spoke from the voice of the city and how city mourns someone who's mm. given given years of service. And, yeah, which which is what we were all in. So yeah. it was um, and and myself as much as anyone else. So it was. I just kind of took on the role that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I took on the poem that way, I guess. So you talked earlier about, um, you know, your study, you're doing your PhD. Um, so what kind of connections do you see between your, your work, um, you know, past work in museums, current work as writer-in-residence, your study in education, and then your poetry? Yeah, I guess they all come together in a big sort of messy web. <laughs> I don't know if I can see my way out of it to give you a clear answer. It's a big question. It's a big question. <laughs> yes, well, they all kind of influence each other, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very fortunate that I'm in a position in my PhD where I have people around me, my supervisor in particular, who foster my creativity as mm-hmm. a poet, who support my work in doing writer-in-residence, support my poetry, I think if that if I didn't have that, I think it would be very hard. I'd feel quite mm-hmm. bifurcated. But um, because my supervisor, Sarah, is so fantastic at nurt- at recognizing that I need to nurture that and need to have that as part of my life and yeah. and it allows for those creative elements to seep into my academic work and mm-hmm. knows that having that outside of my academic work is, is a necessity um, has been really valuable. And interplays on each other and so um writing poetry and um performing poetry helps in any type of writing (laughs) and presenting conference papers so it comes together that way too and much of my work during my time as poet laureate and before and after looks at um history and historics Mm -hmm. uh, historic spaces which is what my academic work does too so Mm -hmm. they all kind of mesh together (laughs) in in some ways and and pull apart in other ways Mm -hmm. as well well and I know you so I know so much of you as a mentor as a teacher to poets in in the cities and you do so much with different schools going into Mm -hmm. schools and teaching that it feels like a very natural extension into your PhD program, right? Like the the combination of teaching and learning and mentoring and Yeah, I would yeah. think I've always done I've always been an educator, so yeah. it's always I've always found myself in that kind of work. So mm-hmm. it's not a new thing to to be an educator and it's something that I find very valuable to mm-hmm. work with other people and to um, in terms of poetry to foster their voice and get get their voice heard. Um, and just, yeah, just to mentor in any way that's needed has always been something valuable and fulfilling to me, which mm-hmm. is what I'm really excited about in terms of the writer in residence mm-hmm. is just working in community and hearing other writers and, mm-hmm. and reading their work. I think probably yourself too, Matthew. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I find it very humbling. I always think that um, it takes so much courage to share your work and it's not something that I come to easily in terms mm-hmm. of my own work and sharing it. I always think, uh, since starting, I think like, wow, these people are just dropping in to say hello. If I saw a writer residence, I'd be like, woo, the yeah. other way, <laughs> out the door. But I just think, oh, it's such a gift I've been given that uh, people feel comfortable enough to come in and share their work and mm-hmm. just um, really respect that and, and honor that and mm-hmm. kind of hold it 
tenderly because I think that it does take take a lot of, of courage to share and, and that to to watch that and watch that process is humbling for me whether it's in the writer in residence or working with youth and mm-hmm. they're so um fierce and sharing their stories mm-hmm. and, and fearless and sharing their sharing their stories and I always am sort of awed by their their strength and yeah. I'm sort of awed, I'm, I'm awed by their strength and, mm-hmm. and their courage and their tenacity and same in the writer in residence yeah um earlier on you you were we were talking a lot or a little bit about how you have found yourself shifting away from poetry in in areas and writing more prose and and the museum stuff um so can you talk to us a little bit more about that and and maybe in what ways um either the poetic form has felt restricting to you or or why you feel that it's time to move into different types of writing yeah I don't know that the poetic form has felt restricting to me. I think it's just something that I've become very familiar with and starting to write these other bits has been a challenge for me and mm. it's something that I, I enjoy. I enjoy a challenge in writing and um, in some ways what I really enjoy is that these prose bits allow me to incorporate some of my academic work mm. uh, where the poetry might not have allowed me to do it as explicitly. And so I find poetry provides me with a depth of my own voice, Mm -hmm. uh, but writing these prose, nonfiction, creative nonfiction pieces, I don't know how to label them, um, still have elements of the poetic, but I also find that they allow me to bring in a depth of multiple voices because I'm able Mm -hmm. to draw from an academic field or a new perspective that I haven't found I've been able to do as readily in poetry and I know um that's something that just at the state I'm in right now with school that's where my brain is at so Mm -hmm. it's kind of serving where my thinking is very interesting I like that um description about how you know poetry is often from coming from within whereas the prose is allowing you to pull from without in yeah and I think it just brings different types of depth so right mm-hmm. a depth from a multiplicity of voices or a depth from a interior voice <laughs> or an inner voice right. so yeah, yeah 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 uh well thank you so much for all of your thoughtful um discussion tonight mary i really love talking with you and um i appreciate that you were able to be here um and i think we'd love to ask you to read a final poem for us this evening and matthew and i uh both are really um struck by the poem the olive trees Sure, yeah. Thank you for having me and for the conversation. It's been really lovely. This poem uh, I wrote for a fringe play that was written by the fringe play, was written by the now owner of Acquired Taste Company. Mm. Oh my where gosh! Where the tea from? So, yeah, Look so. at how that just came around. <laughs> I swear we didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did. This is awesome. So, okay. um, Tasha, who owns Acquired Taste Tea, uh, wrote a, she was part of a, she did a multidisciplinary play for the fringe many years ago. Actually, no, I think this one is not as old as the bones. I was thinking okay. maybe it is as old, but it's only a few years off if it okay. um like a couple of years off. And um I she had asked me to write a poem and then the poem ended up being weaved throughout the throughout the play. So oh, awesome. Yeah, so it's quite nice. I have read that the perfectly pruned olive tree is one with enough spaces in between its branches for a sparrow to fly through without hitting its wings. Held sacred as symbols of peace by the ancient Greeks, there are people in this world who stand like olive trees. People whose hearts do not double dutch, whose breath does not race. People who move gracefully through the uncertainties of life, making awkward shrubs of the rest of us. Most of us are not this kind of perfectly pruned tree. We come into this world bent over from limbs laden with life. Less like stoic control and more like a frantic frenzy, we are tripped up by the easy moments of this world and we break. From hearts that long for stillness and breasts that seek metronomes. I have known this rapid pace, but right now I am just standing here, waiting for a prayer written from beyond a windbreak of perfectly pruned olive trees, a place where the fracturing is not so horrible, 
where the morning splits like in a Cat Stevens song, where the last thunder in a storm cracks, where branches laden with fruit tumble into an easy faint, where the wave breaks like a fever against the harbor. It is sweet sacrifice coming to understand your futility to the fervor of this life. It is the revelation of a slow religion when we realize we may never be olive trees worth worshiping, our bodies forever holding awkward gracelessness like an intention, and still we let the sparrows of life fly into us knowing there is no exit route. There are no temples in the shrubbery. Our bodies are not worth the shrines. We are nothing more than dilapidated shelters seeking small mercies like a sparrow choosing to nest in our branches. Thank you for that, Mary. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. It's a beautiful thought to end on. Well, thank you again to Mary uh, for talking with us today, sharing her poetry and her wisdom and her experiences. And I think it's, yeah, it's just been wonderful to um, hear your perspective and, like, where you come from in your writing mm-hmm. that, like, you know, to kind of echo Rayanne about how I feel like so people draw so much from mm-hmm. it. And then it's nice to hear that, you know, you're just writing from your own personal truth and own personal heart. And then that's just people connect with that. So, yeah, um, we do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's just <laughs> nice, to, nice to know, too. I mean, um, yeah, you often, you know, work in isolation yeah. or, um, yeah, you never know. Too. And there's those moments of performance where you connect with people, but. You don't mm-hmm. know what the takeaways are. I don't see people another three weeks down the way that they say, oh, I'm still remembering. But, um, yeah. So it's, very, it's been a very lovely to have a conversation with you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we also owe our due thanks yes. also to Gravinder and the WGA for being amazing partners and supporters of this podcast. Um, and we ask you, our listeners, to keep up to date on the um, Let's Get Lit by following us on Twitter at let's underscore lit and subscribing and listening to the podcast at audioboom.com and more places where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Yes. And so on that note, we will raise our tea mugs to the sky (laughs) and cheers, dear Mary. Cheers. 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 Thank you.